How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. The driver's seat. Stevie Johnson's going to fight him all the way up to the line. Who will get there first? Kelly, I reckon no Johnson got it. Three laps to go. Awesome, boys. Absolutely awesome. The driver's seat. It's redemption day for Daniel Ricciardo. He wins the Monaco Grand Prix. The driver's seat with Matt McKeldin and Stephen Johnson for Kubota. Together, we are building Australia. And welcome to another big edition of the driver's seat. Nims is all with you. We do it across Australia thanks to Kubota. Together, we are building Australia. And just a reminder too, you can rev up your smartphone with the driver's seat app. It's available in the App Store. And you can listen to Matt and Steve live on a Wednesday night from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as the lads cover everything that happens in the BP Supercars All-Star E-Series as it happens. Uh, A fair bit going on during the week, actually, outside the world of supercars with Sebastian Vettel announcing his departure from Ferrari. We caught up with F1 journalist Michael Laminato to talk about what the grid could look like in 2021. Michael uh, Laminato is a Formula One journalist. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Good, good to be here. I was enjoying that. You could have gone for a bit longer, I reckon. You got my name right, though. I'll give you that. Michael, is it Asphalt, Asphalt or Asphalt? Oh, I don't want to get into such a controversial argument. I don't know. Where did you start it? I'll, I'll, oh, I'll say Asphalt. Oh, Thank you. All right. You know what? I'm quite happy to say I'm wrong. Anyway, can we get back to some motorsport? Uh, hey, big news about uh, Seb Vettel, no longer at Ferrari. It kind of it sets off a, a bunch of possibilities with potentially Dan Ricciardo, Carlos, Carlos Sainz, uh, an open seat possibly at McLaren. How is all of this going to play out, do you reckon? Yeah, it's been quite a wild and wacky 24 hours for a sport that technically hasn't started its season yet and may not for another couple of months. It, and it is huge because it's not often you get a front-running seat appear all of a sudden in this way. Uh, immediately, it was appearing to be a two-horse race between Carlos Sainz from McLaren and Daniel Ricciardo from Renault. Uh, but it seems increasingly likely that tomorrow or in the near future, we'll have Carlos Sainz confirmed at Ferrari. He was the top of the list when Sebastian Vettel announced with Ferrari that he wouldn't be resuming. And that'll be a big step up for, for the Spaniard after only five or so seasons in Formula One. Quite a dramatic trajectory to suddenly land himself in a race-winning, maybe championship-contending seat. Does that surprise you that uh, he was... Ferrari is one of their highest choices and and he seems to have been on the radar of quite a few teams the last few years so uh, he's obviously impressing behind the scenes as well as uh, on track with the cars that he has driven and uh, obviously the teammates that he has outperformed. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't surprising to know that Carlos Sainz is in that conversation about sort of a top-tier driver. A driver admittedly hasn't won races yet, but a driver who's obviously very capable of being a race winner and perhaps even a championship contender. But to be totally honest, given this was a, you know, let's say at least a 50-50 fight between Ricardo and Sainz, given they're probably the two better drivers available and, and realistically likely to go there, I am a little bit surprised that they've chosen Sainz. The, the reasons, and this will all be confirmed, presumably in the next 24 or 48 hours are not completely clear because you'd have to say oh I would be surprised I should say if science has agreed in any way to be 
somehow less than Charles Leclerc in standing inside that team because he is very quick. He was building up to becoming a team leader at McLaren. While he going to Ferrari would give him a, a potentially race-winning car, he's doing so and sort of trading the ability to really contend. I, I'd be really shocked by that, and I'd be surprised if that was the, the way Ferrari approached a decision like this. And if that... If that is confirmed, that will open up a seat at McLaren. Will it be a direct swap? Do you think Vettel will go to McLaren? Will Vettel pull the pin and, and throw his thongs up on the uh, on the couch and watch now that he's a, obviously a multi-gazillionaire? Or will we see someone from <laughs> GP2 step up? Where, where do you think it's all going to end up? It seems increasingly likely that it's going to be Daniel Ricciardo moving to McLaren. I expect that an announcement on that seat will probably be made in quite short order after Ferrari confirms Carlos Sainz. Uh, It's all been happening pretty frantically, and there's still, of course, opportunity for things to change. But it seems like certainly Ricciardo is in that conversation at a minimum. Sebastian Vettel's future is extremely unclear, though. He didn't really give too much away in his uh, press release after leaving Ferrari. He only said he had to reconsider what he wanted from his future and where his passion lied. I wouldn't be surprised to see him retire from Formula 1, given that there's not really any front-running seats available for him to slot into. Short of swapping to Mercedes, perhaps replacing Valtteri Bottas, that means he'd have to partner Lewis Hamilton. That's a pretty big ask for a driver who's essentially lost two titles now to Lewis Hamilton. I think retirement is probably his best option. And what do you think uh, of the move if Dan Rick was to go to McLaren? Do you think, obviously... The, the Renault side of things hasn't really played out the way uh, he would have liked. So do you think that's a good move? And, and considering that McLaren in the last uh, 12 months, especially last season, really surprised a lot of people with just how much they had improved and how fast they were, do you think that's a really good move for him? I think it's, it's going to be very difficult to say. Much like the gamble on Renault from last season, of course, he's got another year to run on that contract, was very much a gamble that, that we couldn't really be sure whether or not it was going to pay off in a, even a, in a minor way, never mind the ultimate way. McLaren is a little bit in that same boat, but it does seem to have a couple fewer uncertainties given the year we're all experiencing. You know, Renault, even last year before the pandemic really began, was, I don't want to say 50-50 on Formula 1, it was nowhere near that close, but the, the company overall was reviewing uh, all of company operations, including the Formula 1 project. Of course, now with the financial constraints, perhaps Daniel feels that the, that team's future is a little less certain. Certainly there's no speculation at this point that they're about to pull out, but decisions will be made at some point. That might be playing into into that, as, and as well as, of course, the fact that McLaren made such a substantial step forward last season. Neither team is going to be winning races in the next year or two until the regulations change in 2022 but upon his assessment having seen the inside of Renault now for one year perhaps he's decided that he really would be better off to go with a team like McLaren. So let's move the board completely around. Science goes to Ferrari, uh, Danny Rick goes to uh, McLaren uh, that will then potentially leave and, and Vettel retires that'll leave a hole at Renault so I rephrase the question who goes to Renault? Yeah, this is a question I've been talking to a whole lot of people about today. And I honestly don't know if these pieces are in the right places. 
this does put Renault in a really difficult situation. And to go really back to the start of this, obviously very few people expected Sebastian Vettel to leave. McLaren did not expect Carlos Sainz to be on the way out. They were even in early negotiations to extend that contract before we even arrived in Australia for that cancelled race. So they will certainly be disappointed to know their plans are changing. So if they've pulled Ricardo in suddenly, Renault has been completely blindsided by all of this. What started as a story only about Ferraris ended up being about them. There aren't very many senior options available to them. They've got Esteban would, would in one car be next another year, option. Would, would Hulkenberg be another option for them bring to bring him back? him back? Well, I, honestly, I think that he is probably the best case driver at the moment. Off the top of my head, he's got the experience, obviously knows Renault, considering he was there only a year ago. Would he come back to the team that sacked him? He probably wouldn't be too proud to do that, considering he's still interested in driving Formula One. The only other options out there, really, I know his name is going to be thrown around in the next couple of days or until it takes to confirm a name, is Fernando Alonso. But I don't see him coming back to Renault, considering that car's not going to be doing races for a couple of years. And he really has specified that he'll only return to Formula One if he's got a shot at winning something. So, in all honesty, it could be Hulkenberg coming back to Renault. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting week. Uh, how about how all this is going to play out? Because I, I was talking to someone about it today, and they were asking me the same questions we're asking you, and I'm giving them exactly the same answers. If you think that we any <laughs> of us know exactly what's going to happen here, you're crazy. None of us know what's going to happen here. All we know now is that Vettel's out of Ferrari, and we don't know who's going to be back in. And how much did you say Vettel knocked back? Was it 12 million euro? 12 million euro. So how much would you reckon Carlos would be getting at Ferrari? He'd be getting less than that, wouldn't he? Oh, you're debatable. And maybe if given the current situation, that's what their purse strings have had. He might have been getting 10. I don't think Lando's getting 10 or 12 million, maybe in his second year now because he showed such promise. I don't know. But I don't know. Would that, would, would, uh, would maybe Carlos... that's just their, that's just their, their budget, budget. That's what I mean. for that other yeah. seat, you know, and, it is what it is, and, and I'm sure that there will be people that would take, not so much Sebastian Vettel, but there will be people that would take a pay reduction to get into a Ferrari seat. And it, the, re- the reality is, and Michael, you can, you can confirm this for me, everybody wants to race for Ferrari. I don't know why, because it's a viper pit of politics and can just as quickly <laughs> ruin your career as it can make your career, as we've seen with Charles Leclerc. But, it, you know, it's, it's, after six years, it's destroyed Vettel's uh, uh, career. Um, would you want to do it? I'd, I wouldn't want to do it. I, couldn't, I don't think I could stand the politics. It is a massive risk. Ferrari's historically been like that. I think, though, the management there at the moment, relatively new, relatively young, uh, approaching things a little bit differently compared to the way Ferrari's normally done its business, has changed that a little bit. Not necessarily the pressure that's on that team from the Italian media and the Italian fans, and, of course, just the history itself applies pressure, but... I think management is much more even-handed in the way it does its business, a little bit more transparent, at least internally, I think. I think Sebastian, I don't, I don't know that he's left necessarily because the politics has become toxic, but rather that he's felt that he deserves more status inside that team, but it yeah. wasn't forthcoming. And, and it's understandable that it wasn't forthcoming given the way he was beaten by Leclerc last year and, and the year before that, the way that really his mistakes cost Ferrari its best shot of a championship in a decade and possibly within another five years from now. Uh, so a, a, t- a new driver arriving at that team might feel that they'll be empowered to, to race fairly and then try and win the hearts of the team. But you're right, it is a risk because you're still answering to 
the Italian media, for example, the Italian fans, and, and that pressure will always be there at a team like this. We clearly appreciate your time on the driver's seat goes I racing tonight, and I, I am sorry, mate. You'll never take our call again. <laughs> I'm getting smashed. <laughs> See Thanks, <Michael>. guys. <laughs> Make sure you get the app if you can't get near a radio to hear the lads live every Wednesday night covering the E-Series as it happens. You can even join in the conversation as well. You listen to The Driver's Seat across Australia for Kubota, building Australia. This is The Driver's Seat for Kubota. Together, we are building Australia. Welcome back to The Driver's Seat. We do it thanks to Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter. And together, we're building Australia. Right now, it's time for this week's feature interview for IMAR Insurance, the tradies, mate. Call 13IMAR. Jack Dewan, son of five-time MotoGP champ Mick Dewan, was a wildcard entry last week in the E-Series, and he dropped by the show for a chat. G'day, Jack. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, mate. Hey, Jack. Stevie J here, mate. Uh, how was hey, it how last week? Yeah, oh, I'm good, mate. Good. Uh, it's been a... A little while. A lot of people probably don't know that. Uh, obviously, I've known Mick for quite a while, and and know Jack as he's been as he's grown up. Uh, basically, you know, from a young boy racing to now, obviously uh, overseas racing open wheelers, and uh, and really starting to try to get that that road to to Formula One, mate. And um, very very cool to see you. Obviously, race the E Series last week. Um, give us give us your take on that, mate. What was it like getting out there with the uh, the main drivers and guys like Lando, who uh, is back on tonight. Yeah, no, it definitely was good fun. Um, I probably didn't, you know, prepare to the extent um, I should have. Yeah, I didn't really. I've never um, been into the, the sim racing too much as for most of the year. Um, I'm overseas and in the apartment, I don't have a sim there. So I never really got to get into the racing world too much. Um, and I didn't really know the extent that um, these guys, you know, go to to prepare before these races. Um, so I only really was able to get on it um, the day before, and I just yeah I wasn't prepared enough for it. But um, once I got through qualifying, got into the races, there was a bit of carnage about. I was able to you know pick up a few places and have a, a, a few battles with some of the guys. So no, yeah, I really enjoyed you know the whole experience. So Jack, it's Matt McKeldin here, mate. Um, uh, I think you know obviously. I think everyone in Sundry knows your father and his two-wheel exploits, and there's probably a bit of an assumption out there that, you know, the son of Mick Doohan, Jack Doohan, is going to be jumping into two wheels. But you've gone down the four-wheel uh, track, you know, a lot of open-wheel racing in Europe and now firmly on the road to, to Formula One. Um, why did you choose that route instead of going down the motorcycle route? Well, ever since I can remember, I was always... Two wheels. Um, firstly, I think it was it was Supercross and Motocross. Um, growing up, Chad Reed as well. Oh, yeah, mainly Chad Reed was my a huge idol for me. As a, you know, Dad didn't really enforce it too much. Um, so in my early ages, I didn't really know who he was. There was just a lot of bikes standing around all the time. And yeah, um, on my fifth birthday, I was riding. I'm um, just around home, and I broke my. I fell off and broke my leg. So I think that was a bit of a turning point for dad um, and myself. I don't think I was too keen to, to get back on the bike. So it kind of got, it kind of got hit away a little bit. Um, and I hopped on a push bike. So a BMX bike and was doing the pump track for a couple of years um, until one of my mates um, who's actually yeah, racing tonight. So Zane Goddard came around to our track at home with his go-kart. Um, and I think, you know, at that age, you, you wanted to be doing obviously what your friends were doing. And I always had a cart around home. So, I thought, um, just a dad, you know, I'll give it a try. And, um, you know, I think we'll do this. Obviously, I wouldn't have said we're going to do this seriously, but um, 
you know, I think we started with a, a few local races where obviously, um, and then down in Lismore for one of my first races where I think, you know, Stevie was there as well. Um, so kind of just went from there. You know what I love about that story, Stevie J? How many kids do you talk to about their racing career and that sort of stuff? And in the one sentence, they say, you know, the go-kart track at home. We went around the track at home. <laughs> you, you've literally got like a pretty good track around your front. Is it front yard, backyard well, up at your house on the Gold Coast? Yeah, I would – difficult to say a front or backyard, but, yeah, it's it's definitely front back uh, – yeah, front front yard. It goes yeah. around the whole lot pretty it's, much. <laughs> yeah, it's kind is of – Is it fast? Do you, go, front, do, you get, do you get fast? Yeah, definitely. The, the straight is quite long, so you get um, a, quite a bit of speed. But also I think because um, it's quite, you know, twisty and the trees aren't, um, you know, as wide as you want them to be or as far as away. So I think it makes it a lot the, – the sensation a lot quicker than – it probably would be. Um, but no, yeah, it definitely keeps you working and is a real great workout. So, um, no, definitely I'm getting I – got, I, I got kind of addicted to the sim for the past month and I kind of you – know, I stopped doing going down to the track every day because I was spending like two hours, not more so on the – before I knew I was in the V8, I was just always doing the online races and the F3 and I was just spending 10 hours a day on it, 10 hours a day on it. And then um, now that I think – I've kind of gotten out of that to such you, you get a little bit annoyed with it um, to the end. So yeah, I'm definitely getting more back into it. And every day as you know, I need to, everything starts to be getting a little bit better now. So hopefully yeah. um, next month we can start to head back over and then yeah, get the season going. I think the funny thing about, about that story is there's three, three parts to me for that. One is that, Thank God Mick um, would never let my dad drive on his track because the trees are way too close <laughs> for my dad. Uh, secondly, if you run clockwise around that track, uh, you'd end up at the end of the front straight, you'd end up, if you overshot, you'd end up in the Cooma River. So Mick had to put a uh, catch <laughs> fence there because a couple of the boys uh, ended up in the drink there on their super motard bikes. Right. Maybe Daryl Beatty. Uh, and, uh, and three... Uh, Mick was nice enough to let us come out there with uh, Jet, my son, who's a little bit younger than Jack, um, and he did his very first drive in a go-kart out at, uh, nice. out at their track out there, which is really, really cool. So, mate, tell us, uh, obviously, this, this situation has been difficult for everyone. What does the rest of 2020 hold for you with racing? You mentioned you might be able to get over there fairly soon. What's the, what's the update on that, and, and, and what are you uh, going to be racing this year once we get going? So I'll be competing in the FIA F3, which um, follows around the F1 for as a support category for nine rounds. So we had the first round, um, first official test. Well, we only had one official test before the season started, which was in Bahrain. So we had three days there, um, which didn't end up too bad. We ended up third overall. Um, but I think the main thing was in the car getting used to the tyres, the Pirelli tyres, as they're, they're quite severe on and getting it in the window for the qualifying lap, but also the time management where I think I was at probably my weakest point um, over the 45-minute race distance. Um, so, yeah, then we had the two weeks before the Bahrain GP where then once Australia was cancelled, it was quite obvious um, with Bahrain's higher numbers that that was going to be cancelled, followed by, you know, to where we are now. So um, it's looking like... It, We'll be able to do a nine-round championship um, starting at the Red Bull Ring on July cool. 3rd. Um, but it's looking like we'll be doing two races, so we'll be doubling up. So as we have to be quarantined for two weeks um, and tested 
before entering the circuits um, on every occasion. So it's going to be a lot of sore noses uh, after the, the stick that they shove up there. It's not the, definitely the pleasant feeling. Um, so I think it's looking at two rounds at Red Bull Ring um, and then to the UK if they will let um, others in, as it seems like they're, they're quite strict. And as well, um, it's difficult you know, for them to combine with Europe as because of Brexit, they've left the yep. European Union. Um, so if we can be allowed into there, it's looking like then again a two-round championship there um, as well, then um, the next information is ending in Abu Dhabi. Hey, so, mate, just, um, that's, that's, that's a, like, at least you've got a bit of a direction on what, you know, you're able to do. And I think, you know, in the within the next week or so, we're probably going to have the same thing out here with regard to supercars. So in that regard for you guys, it's good. You've got something to at least shoot name for. But just quickly before we go, mate, I really want to know, you know, I know a little bit about it, but I'm sure there's a few guys in the studio here, plus a lot of our our listeners would love to hear a bit about how, obviously, you became uh, a Red Bull junior and and just the progression and how that's going to be able to progress you to, obviously, where you want to go, ultimately, in Formula 1. So, I mean, say you do really well this year uh, in the Formula 3, what are the next steps um, to get to where you want to go? I'd say um, the obvious step would be to, to go to Formula 2 um, or... Um, obviously preference depending on the situation helmet obviously just towards super formula as well um, so to be honest the, the thought of next year obviously um, it's always in the back of my mind um, and helmet's always um, looking but as a season hasn't really you know been able to get um, get away it's usually that, that half year mark where things start to get decided and, and negotiations start getting put in place um, but obviously, as well, if the opportunity was there with um, the amount of driver swaps and everything going around, if the opportunity was to be able to go to Formula One, um, it's definitely something you wouldn't turn down. But I think I would want to be able to go to um, Formula Two or Super Formula and just mature as a driver as well and get more into the, the long distance and the long races, um, as obviously jumping into F1 next year would be quite um, jumping into the deep end and I hope to have my floaties on because I wouldn't want to sing. <laughs> so you're a Red Bull junior. You've you've done the esports thing here in Australia in a Red Bull car. You did really quite well doing that. Is there any chance we'll see doing on the side of the name doing on the side of a uh, a Red Bull racing team car here in Australia for the Enduros? Are you likely to get a crack at that? Maybe. Um. Uh. That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you know, I haven't. I've never thought about it too much. As since I've hopped into cars, I've only been in a single seater. I've actually never driven anything um, two seater, one or with a roof over my head. So that kind of route, I think, definitely. Once I have um, a proper drive, as I'm still quite young and I'm unfortunately paying, which you have to do. Um, yeah. I haven't really, um, you know, settled anywhere or really made too much of, of a name um, for myself apart from my last name. So I definitely want to be able to you know, perform a lot better um, than I have in the last two years and really um, settle into a position where I can you know, start actually working away and, and being dominant and having my name out there before I start to you know, drift towards doing um, invitational races and um, wildcard events. All right, Jack Doohan. It's been a pleasure having you on the show tonight. So you've got a good head on your shoulders. 
And uh, we appreciate you joining us on the uh, driver's seat goes iRacing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye. Cheers. Well, thank you. What a great bloke, young bloke. How, How old, old is he? 17? 17. So he's a, I incredible. Mean, he's, he's a baby. And yeah. and look, let's be honest, he's got he's obviously got some God-given talent there through through the doing genes, but he's got it all, you know. Dad's dad's got a fair amount of wedge, he's got a fair amount of influence, he's got some talent, he could go all the way. Jack Dewan from Red Bull Racing was our feature interview. Thanks to IMAR Insurance, the tradies mate. Call 13IMAR or visit imar.com.au. This is the driver's seat across Australia for Kubota. Together we're building Australia. <laughs> This is the driver's seat for Kubota. Together, we are building Australia. You're listening to the driver's seat for Kubota, building Australia. You can listen to Matt and Steve live on a Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hang out with the lads live during the E-Series and get the app. Right now, we're going to get into this. Now on the driver's seat, another Bendix Brakes big moment. Bendix, Australian technology for all-weather confident braking. If you want cleaner wheels, fit Bendix Brakes. When it comes to these in the E-Series and big moments at the Circuit of the Americas, there was only one thing that could be a big moment, and that, of course, was the reverse grid race. Now, this has actually turned into being an exciting race because we've seen reverse grid start, yep. big shunts at the back, both uh, DJR Team Penske shell cars, Lounsey in the fence again. <laughs> um, where's Jack uh, Smith? He's actually in 12, so he's actually doing quite well. Um, Hazelwood up the front. Hazelwood's in the, in the lead car. at the moment. Lando Norris is in P2, but it is absolutely a plethora of shunts at the back at the moment. So uh, we got Scotty, uh, we got Scotty oh. McLaughlin that's got uh, no rear wing left on his car. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen went AWOL trying to miss everything, and it looks like he has. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see how this 11-lap uh, encounter finishes. We'll probably see some of the guys that were involved in that. Uh, actually pitting on the first lap here so that they can actually get a repair to their car um, and actually have a reasonably fast car to uh, drive through to the end. Put your foot down with confidence. Bendix Brakes, Australian technology for all-weather confident braking. Before we go to a break, it's time to slide open the doors to the Classic Cars Corner. This is the Classic Cars Corner with Malcolm Owens for Kubota. Together, we are building Australia. Malcolm, welcome to the driver's seat, goes iRacing. How are you, mates? I'm doing really well, and you guys? Yeah, not too good tonight. We've all copped a belting tonight. I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't. Actually, well, no, actually, for one night, you haven't. You normally yeah. cop the brunt of yeah, well, he hamburgers. And he brought chocolate. He did him. bring yeah. chocolate in, so we thought we'd go. We'd be nice here tonight. We've had a very bad <laughs> pronunciation problem from the Pronunciation. There it goes again. Pronunciation. 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 I knew I was going to balls that up. Ash, is it asphalt or asphalt? Yeah, yeah what is it, Mel? Asphalt. Asphalt. Thank you. And pronunciation, pronunciation. Even, <laughs> is it Circuit of America or Circuit <laughs> of the... Anyway. What a bunch right. of hacks we are. Let's talk about the Mustang, Malcolm. That's much easier to talk about and much more enjoyable. Yeah, well, I was thinking about Mustangs this week because um, Ford came out and claimed that Mustang as being the world's best-selling sports coupe last year for, for the full year to 2019. They sold about 115,000 models, which included uh, about 20,000 ride hookers for Australia and Europe. So pretty impressive yeah. stuff. But that made me think about, if you go right back, to how many Mustangs were sold back in the day. 
Now, I know both of you guys are familiar with Mustangs. Uh, Matthew's traded up from his Peugeot to a Mustang. And uh, obviously, Steve, you raced, raced one for a long, long time. Uh, so a very, very nice rig. So the so question nice. is... Oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. Of that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Um, they've been around for a long, long time. So I started to think, is there a future for this type of car? So you'd say, oh, well, yes or no. But So back in 65, when I was 64, when they first came out at the uh, New York World's Fair, the price for a new Mustang was 2300 bucks, And they sold 22,000 cars on the day that it was launched, on the no very day. Way. Wow. Yep. And more than 560,000 in the first year, and they hit a million by 1966. So when you see so many Mustangs that have been imported to Australia, I always wondered, geez, they must have made a lot. I had no idea that they made more than half a million in one year and hit a million pretty much by 66. So if we think about that and then we go back to what is the world's best selling sports coupe today or, or last year at 113, we've seen that 1965, with a much lower population, outsold... 2018-19 by six to one, so wow. it's uh, it's pretty interesting statistic when you think about it. And um, the Mustang was originally built to be a second generation of the Ford Falcon, so this is why I was sort of thinking about how it comes into into Australia. So it's been in production for more than five decades, and it's in the sixth generation. So it's, it hasn't ever had a time when it hasn't been produced. There's some pretty dodgy ones in there. In the 80s, I think your dad raced a couple, didn't they, Steve? Some of those did. square versions in the, in the late 80s, 90s. Yep. So probably um, they're probably worth more money now, but the the, the early ones um, are really really nice. And so even today, for a classics Mustang, you can pay. I was looking on on car sales, you can around thirty thousand for for an early model, but you can go up to one hundred and fifty if you want the GT50 and the and and the Shelby. So. Uh, a new one. Its prices started at um, about sixty-two to sixty-five thousand. And so the question for you guys is: with the world as we have it today, is there a future for cars like the Mustang and the Camaro, when the vast majority of cars sold now, new cars, are Utes or SUVs? So what, what do you guys think? Uh, well, as the owner of a Mustang, I'm obviously going to say yes, but I can tell you that uh, the ownership life of a Mustang owner would be a whole lot sweeter if the fuel stayed at about 80 to 90 uh, cents per litre. It's jumping up now to a $1, or dollar fifteen, dollar eighteen. 115 cents? 115 cents. Yeah, and, okay. uh, and I think they've got about a 50-litre fuel tank or maybe a 60-litre fuel And I can tell you, I drive mine like a big, giant sook and I get about 450 to 480 Ks out of a tank, which is no good. <laughs> so when it goes up to back to prices of $1.50, $1.60, I'm absolutely juicy fruited. It's going to cost me a bomb to run that Mustang. So, Malcolm, just moving yeah. quickly on about that, I mean, and obviously about the Mustang, I mean, I know it, this is about the Mustang, but do you think that it is wholly and solely down to the Mustang and, say, the Ranger, that have kept Ford going? Well, um, for Ford, the um, the Mustang was number three. So the Ranger Ute sold 43,000 units last year in Australia and the Everest SUV 12,000. Mm. And then what do you reckon, what do you reckon how many sold last year in Mustangs? Oh, maybe what, uh, 9, 000, eight or 9,000, something around there? 4,000. 
Two years wow. ago, they sold 9,000. 2017 sold 9,000. They've dropped to 6,018. And then last year, which is the full model year, down 38%. Now, that's pre-COVID and, and all, all the other stuff. And you sort of get a question, is a fuel price is really that relevant? Well, if you're going to buy a V8 Mustang, probably not, because you can go and buy a little Corolla or something. But what I thought was interesting... Or a Peugeot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I thought was interesting was... If we look at the traditional Australian market, okay, back in the 60s and 70s, there weren't all the Mercedes and Audis and, and all the different European bands, Volvos, and, and so many, so much choice now. And then, of course, the much cheaper um, Hyundai's and those types of things. But in, in the 60s, um, Falcon sold about 70,000 cars a year and topped to 100,000 in the mid-90s. And then as it started to drop... Um, we got down to um, less than 4,000 um, in the last year of production. So um, the last full year of production was 6,000 units. So you've gone from 100,000 to 6,000 units with all the competition and the change. Commodore's the same. I mean, if you look at the Commodores, they were selling um, a heap of them. And then that, that also went down to, to under 10,000 um, units. And the price of the Commodores and the Falcons around the 35 40 mark starting point, not too far away from the Mustang. So I guess the question that, that we look at is here is, is in the good old days, Falcons and Commodores were selling 200,000 units a year, every year. And now they can barely scratch the surface of the competition of the Utes and the SUV. So and that's why we don't have we... a local manufacturing market in Australia anymore. That's why I hold and left. We, Australians... Just don't, and I think even Camaros now, Malcolm, are on the way out. Walkinshaw has said they're not going to be continuing with that program because Australians just don't buy those cars anymore. They buy Rangers and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, and the thing is, that in the um, in the Mustang, there's 105 unique parts for, for a right-hand drive version compared to what they're pumping out in, in the US. So you get to say, wow. is it worth doing it? Yeah, and this is the thing. I don't want to see... The classic car market, um, some of the, the, the brands that have lasted so long. I mean, I'd hate to see Ford disappear, but, you know, the, it's, or it's just being replaced with, with other things. I mean, in the 80s, we were looking at some minivans and those types of things taking over. So it's just really interesting to see whether in 20 years from now we'll all be driving these little hybrid, no-personality cars that, that don't use any fuel because that's what the market is dictating or whether there's still going to be a, you know, a big market for second-hand and older Mustangs and Camaros and Barracudas and, and the muscle. And if that's the case, are, are the prices going to go through the roof because more people are going to want them because there's nothing fun, brand new so anymore. Maybe the Mustang is the last hurrah for, um, for muscle cars. So should I hold on to my Mustang then? I reckon. Mm. Right Done. Thank you. Right. I'll do that. Uh, maybe next week, Malcolm Owens on our classic car segment, you could do, give us the history of the Peugeot. <laughs> uh, could you do that for us next week? <laughs> Righto. Have you looked in the garage of what you're driving, champ? <laughs> what what do does mean? Big Jace drive? Jace drives a beat-up old Corolla from well, memory. I, I, There's hey. his wife's S5 out S5. there. Not S5, Q5 or Q5. whatever it is. Q5. Sorry, boys. Which is like a 2005 you know, 300,000k wrecker. Oh, it is <laughs> nice. Listen, all right, boys. Malcolm, don't you start tonight, okay? I, I've just about had enough. Uh, Malcolm Owens from Kubota, thank you for the classic car segment tonight. And nothing wrong with the Corolla, thank you very much.
Uh, it costs about 33 bucks to fill up. We'll catch you next week, Malcolm. Good on you guys. Thank you. Talk to you next See week. You, mate. That was the Classic Cars Corner. For Kubota. Building Australia. You're listening to the driver's seat. Thanks to Kubota for over 40 years we've been making tomorrow matter. Together we are building Australia. Don't go anywhere. More of the driver's seat coming up next. This is the driver's seat for Kubota. Together we are building Australia. It is the driver's seat. Thanks to Kubota building Australia. Right now, though, it's time for this week's Race Rewind. This is the driver's seat. Race Rewind. One lap to go. Kyle Busch, defensive line into turn one. There's something wrong with the 18. Now Ambrose trying to get second from Keslowski while he tries to get the lead from Kyle. Oh, Contact in the S's. And Clyde got it. Dangerous spot on the track for Kyle to be sideways. Looks like he gets off to the guardrail. No caution yet. Here's the race for the lead. Keselowski's got damage on the left front. Is the tire going to make it all the way around? And will the nine help him? Oh, Everybody's in the grass. Oh, yeah, clear. Dig, dig, dig. That dig, might dig. have been the race right there. We'll no. see. No, Keselowski's slower. Kozlowski's got a problem. Trying to stay with Ambrose. Two final corners. Do they use the bumpers? A nudge, a push. Can Ambrose save it? To the checkered flag. Who gets here first? Ambrose, nine. Kozlowski, two. Final corner. Marcus Ambrose is going to win at Watkins Glen in a remarkable last lap turn of events. How good. Like last yeah, last yeah, corner. Last corner. Push him off. No judiciary came in and said, Oh, you gave him a hip and shoulder and you can't I mean that 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 race, Stevie J, that last couple of laps, that is real racing. When you get to that level and the judiciary guys and the, the fun police step in and have a crack, which, which we see occasionally on supercars. But in NASCAR, that's one of the greatest things about it. You can fence someone so hard you don't get a penalty. You can ruin and kill their race, don't get a penalty. You, you have to practically go up and smack someone in the mouth to get a penalty in NASCAR. So I loved watching that, and I, I still remember watching it at home and screaming at the TV for, for Marcus to take it. And don't they sound – NASCAR at full noise on a street circuit sounds mint. At, it, just with that, uh, you know, that nine and a half thousand RPM, like they just, they're a, they're a very, they're a very untechnical type of car, the NASCAR. They're a very old school car, four speed H pattern gearbox. Um, none of the tricks or the, the tech that a supercar's got. And uh, really just the, the actual rawness of that car and the sound and, and that they move around so much but that race was just amazing like it, there was biff and barge that whole last couple of laps one of them uh you know kyle bush would hit marcus and move him wide and then marcus would do the same back to him and it just went back and forth back and forth they didn't 
they didn't bin each other, but they just moved each other off the track enough to get past each time. Um, and it was one of Marcus's best wins over there, that's for sure. And they are so loud. There was one on the Gold Coast race a couple of years ago. Uh, it was a Penske car. Was it last year? A couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. And got driven by Scotty, got driven by Fabian, and they were hanging out of the hotel rooms. It, they are so loud. So if you can imagine 30 of them around a street circuit, let alone at full noise on an oval, if you've never been to a NASCAR race and you're a race fan, when we can, get OS and go to a race because they are something to behold. And that was that with the good old days with Marcus up the front winning races. Almost time to wrap up, but just a reminder that throughout the BP Supercars All-Star E-Series, Matt and Steve will be live on the driver's seat app. You can grab it from the App Store and Google Play. You can even call in and text Matt and Steve as well. This is from Mick. What was your favourite track to race on? Favourite track? I, um, I always, you know... The standard track, Bathurst, everyone will say the same thing. It's just a, an amazing place to drive. But um, I love the street circuits. Um, you know, I really love the, the type of driving you needed to do at, say, Adelaide or the Gold Coast event or Canberra, uh, Homebush. Especially Canberra. Cam- yeah, you know, you like it was Canberra, just, yeah, we had a win at Canberra. But yeah. it's just. When was the last time there was racing in Canberra? Yeah, oh. quite a while. I think what they was the did year it, that you won. You know, it's straight off the top of your head. 2001. <laughs> There you go. Oh, you won there? Okay. Yeah, mm. GMC 400. Yeah, I think they the winter race... in Canberra. Yeah, Jeez, oh, it was oh, pretty warm. Yeah. It was pretty good. We'd have to, sc- <laughs> we had to scrape the ice off the windscreens before we got going. Yeah, <laughs> believe I it believe that, yeah. Um, but I, just, I know those tracks are great. Just, you know, being able to bounce off curbs and scrape up against walls, it was very, very exciting. But um, other than that, I love little tracks like, uh, like Tasmania. I love Simmons Plains. A lot of character, you know, you're doing 78-odd laps around the place to, to do a, a normal race distance. Yeah. Um, so, you know... Winton. Oh, Winton, good fun. You know, I love those sort of tracks. Um, and I was a bit weird. Like, a lot of the guys will say Phillip Island's their favourite track. And to, to me, not really. They don't excite me. Those big, long, flowing tracks where you've got to be ultra smooth and, you know, not so much very precise. You've got to be precise everywhere, but very different flow in driving style. I love to just get on the brake, get down the gears, turn and mash the pedal and go again, you know. So it was just sort of, um, you know, young bloke cold tyres syndrome, I guess. Righto. Uh, and Paul from Roville wants to know, will your son jet race in the supercars? Does he want to be? I don't know. What does uh, has Paul got a big business? Does he want to sponsor a young fella that come through? You too could sponsor yeah. a Johnson. The next generation. Yeah. I mean, it does, and it does. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, what you got. Uh, it comes down. Yeah, it comes down to a bit of talent as well. You obviously got to have talent to be able to be at the front. But having said that, you know, and this is no way in derog- derogatory of, of anybody, but Mark Scaife, in my opinion, was never. He wasn't a very talented driver. Right, he had to work very, very hard to be a very fast driver. He wasn't naturally gifted. Wasn't naturally gifted, you know. And this is just me speaking out yeah. loud. But then you get other guys like Scotty Mack or a few of the guys, even Lounsey, they were gifted, so they didn't have to do the work that Mark did. And that's why what he did was so incredible. He would work and just drive and drive and drive. Doesn't matter what he drove, just to get better and better and better to be able to take it to the guys that did have that little bit of gifted talent. Has he got it? Who's that? Jet. Oh, I think yeah, he wouldn't be hard to be better than his old man, but I think he's not too bad. So, um, but same again, it doesn't matter. It's going to all depend on you know sponsorship, and it's going to depend you... on on what he wants to do. And if he's determined enough to do it, then I'll do whatever I can to help him. But I'm not going to send myself broke doing it either. So, mum and dad would be keen for him to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, he's racing at the moment. He's racing a little Hyundai Excel. He's only 15, so uh, he's raced go karts for probably four years before that. Um, 
so it's it's um, something that we've we're sort of tippy toeing on the on the outskirts of, and then maybe in the next year or two we might see him progress up from the Hyundai into maybe the same class as Maddie McKeldon and I give him a run for his money in TA two. Me in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Maddie. That's it for this week's edition of The Driver's Seat for Kubota. Together we're building Australia. Don't miss next week when the E-Series heads to Daytona. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.